0: chapter 25 uh, and uh, while you're turning there exodus 25 we'll look this morning at verses 10 to 22 let me assure you um, that it is not uh, our plan to work our way item by item through every single article in the tabernacle Uh, we are doing that this morning for the ark Uh, This will be the last time we do that. So lest you think, oh boy, next week is a table. The week after that is a lampstand. The week after that, we're not going to work through uh, the tabernacle in that way. Um, So let me assure you of that. Exodus chapter 25, uh, verses 10 to 22. If you're able, would you please stand as we read God's word together? They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length and a cubit and a half its breadth and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold inside and outside. Shall you um, overlay it and you shall make on it a molding of gold around it? You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet, two rings on the one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry uh, to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it, and you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length and a cubit and a half its breadth, and You shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work. Shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat? Make one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end of one piece with the mercy seat. Shall you make the cherubim on its two ends? The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces one to another toward the mercy seat. Shall the faces of the cherubim be? And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Uh, let's pray. We pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would be at work even now and do that which only you can do. Open ears and eyes to hear, to see, minds to understand, hearts to embrace. Grow us that we might love Christ all the more. For it's in his name that we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. Oh that mic went off and then seemed to come back on again. Um, but I'm going to go without it. You know, it's it's um it, it's troubling maybe a little bit that um that perhaps our concept of uh the ark of the covenant is more influenced by Indiana Jones uh than by the Bible. Um uh, y- you know, to be fair, I guess Dr. Jones wanted more, He recognized it as something more than just an archaeological, interesting artifact. Um, he wanted it treated with some care and, and, and the specialness that it would deserve. Um, the others, not so much. But the reality is Hollywood gave the Ark special powers. It gave the Ark attributes that the bible doesn't actually give it the reality is um it's just a box and there's really nothing special about the box itself what makes what makes the ark of the covenant special and important isn't in itself it's in its purpose and so we find in this passage first the ark's construction Notice in verses 10-15, to you get this long explanation of exactly how the ark is going to be built. Now, let me alleviate the confusion and fears in your head. There's a word for ark in Genesis 6. Uh, That same word is used at the beginning of Exodus to describe the basket that Moses was in as an infant. Those are the same word. They're, they're a word that means boat. This is a different word. This isn't a boat. This isn't you're not supposed to connect this ark with that ark. You're not supposed to connect the Ark of the Covenant with the Ark of with Noah's Ark because it's a different word, a different purpose, a different function altogether. One was a big boat. One was a little boat this in reality is just a small box now i don't want to i don't want to sound like i'm i'm belittling or making light of something that has huge significance not just here not just in the tabernacle but throughout the old testament and beyond into the new this becomes a big deal quite honestly in the book of hebrews so you don't want to make light of it, but the reality is it's a wooden box. Okay, it's it's covered in gold. So that's kind of special. That's different. That's important. That adds weight. That adds brightness. It adds the concept of a king and, and ruler over his people. That's all sort of wrapped up here. But it's still just a small box. In fact, I came up here yesterday and measured this. The length, if you were to take this and turn it sideways, the length of the arc is shorter than this is tall. This is 48 inches. This is four feet. The arc would be three nine. So lop off three inches. From the length of this, this is 19 inches wide. It would have been 27 uh, ish inches wide. So add eight inches, um, and that would give you the height, and that would give you the square ends, right? Um, it's a um, so it's a rectangular prism. If you're mathematically inclined, I got to break out my old geometry days, math days with. Rectangular prism. It's a square on two ends, and then four sides—actually, three sides—that uh, are are rectangles. So the same height as the ends, but longer. And when you when you compare what you think of the Ark of the Covenant with this, you're not really all that impressed, are you? It's just a box. On the outside of it, there are rings, uh, four rings, two on each side, and and they're made of gold. And then the, the poles are going to, um, they're made of wood and then overlaid with gold like everything else just about in the tabernacle. They're going to be put through those rings, and that's the way you are supposed to carry the ark. And interestingly, it's the one piece of furniture that the poles never come out of. You, you get the table into the uh, the holy place. And you can pull the rings up and the poles out and stand them up in the corner of the tabernacle until it's time to move again. Uh, These poles stay in these rings. No risk of touching the ark. No risk of grabbing it the wrong way. No risk of doing to someone what David did to Uzzah. Remember David was recovering the ark from the Philistines and he had this bright idea. We'll put it on this brand new cart. And we'll drive it back home on the back of this, on top of this cart. The ox stumbled. The ark, the the cart bounced. The ark toppled. Uzzah reached out his hand, almost cat-like. When you, the way you read it, it's like he never thought. We we do this, right? Moms, you you hit the brakes real hard. You instinctively put a hand out and stop. Whoever's sitting next to you from hitting their head on the dashboard. We do this. We just stick a hand. Uzzah sticks a hand out. Dies. Because David was carrying the ark in a way contrary to God's revealed will. By the way, that's just yet another reminder that our good intentions are no match for obedience when it comes to God making himself known For how we might worship and serve Him. And so these poles stay in these rings. They're there all the time. And what you find certainly portrayed in Uzzah is it may just be a box, but it's a holy box. Not because of the acacia wood. Not because of the gold. Not because of the cherubim on top. But because of its purpose. The ark's construction. Second, notice the ark's concealment. This is where you have to let me come up with the outline as I see fit. Because um, it's really just the lid. It's the top of the box. But the word isn't exactly lid. And lid doesn't start with C-O-N like all the other words in the outline. So you have to go with concealment and you have to work with me on this. And the reality is, it's 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 not a really a box lid exactly. There's much more to it than that. The Bible, oddly enough, goes to great lengths to describe this the lid in verses seventeen to twenty one. It, it gets almost as much, perhaps even more, in terms of of words. Um, Uh, uh, description of the lid itself than the box does, than the the concealment itself, than the rest of the box does. In fact, you notice in verse 17, this is no ordinary lid. It's not called a lid. Your English version has you shall make a mercy seat. By the way, Martin Luther was the first one to use that language in his German translation of the Bible. William Tyndale picked up on it, and we've had it ever since. But it communicates not just that it's a top, that it's a cover, that it's a lid, but it communicates the aim and purpose and function and, uh, of the, the, the ark itself and so Moses the skilled craftsmen are going to make this mercy seat don't think of seat as in like a chair Uh, it's not exactly a throne although it has the throne sort of mines its gold Uh, the psalmist will tell us that God is enthroned between the cherubim. So it has that kind of concept to it. In fact, the Ark is going to contain the Ten Commandments, which is sort of the edicts of the king to his people. So it's got that throne mindset to it. But don't think of it as, as a seat, like a chair, like a, but the, the place where we talk about the seat of government, the seat of power, the seat of authority. Washington, Washington, D.C. is the, the seat of power in the United States. And some would argue even around the globe to some extent. There's not an actual chair. It's where power and authority reside. It's where they belong. It's it's where they live. In other words, this is a place, the place where mercy is to be found. Moses is to build this seat, this mercy seat, this place where mercy will reside, the central location of mercy itself. It's made of gold. There appears to be no acacia wood in that at all. It's solid gold and the cherubim on top are also solid gold of one piece with the rest of the mercy seat, with the rest of the lid. These these cherubim are, are facing each other. Their wings are out. They appear to be looking down at the at the lid, at the box itself, at the ark. They appear to be looking downward, but their heads and wings and things are towards each other, forming this this place, this mercy seat. And we're told that this is where verse twenty two that that's where God will meet. With Moses. The ark's contents, I mean, the ark's construction, the ark's concealment, we also see the ark's content. Uh, Notice in verses 16 and again in verse 21, that's where the testimony is going to go. That's where. Moses is going to he doesn't even have them yet, by the way, that that doesn't happen until Exodus 34. At the end of chapter 34, we're going to read that God writes with his own finger. The the law, the Ten Commandments, the testimony on these two um, stone tablets and Moses is going to bring that. That's what's going into the ark. Probably the Ten Commandments. Possibly the moral code that we've seen since Exodus 20. Certainly at least the Ten Commandments. My guess is you and I tend to think of um, the Ten Commandments, two tablets. We think one to five on one side and six to ten on the other. Or maybe one to four on one tablet and five to ten on the other. Depending on how your brain does Whether you sort of do the math thing and keep them even or the content thing and do duty to God, duty to man. That's going to be in your brain. My guess is we're both wrong. I think everything was written on both tablets. And here's why. The the common practice in the ancient Near East, anytime two people entered into a, a covenant agreement with each other, you made two copies of the agreement. See, you have Dropbox. You have, you have whatever online file. You have a safe deposit box at the bank. You have a fireproof safe in your home. You have a courthouse. You can go down to the courthouse and get a copy of your legal documents. That's how it works in today's world. In that world, you made two copies. And each party, regardless of what kind of Agreement. This is vassal, suzerain, greater, lesser, lesser, greater, um, or two equal. It doesn't matter. You each took a copy back to your home place and put your copy in your temple. The place where you worshiped. So you had a copy and and the guy you've made the agreement with has a copy so that if ever anything goes wrong, you you can say, well, it's not exactly what it says. And he can say, oh, but it does. What if the testimony, what if the agreement, what if the covenant is between God and Moses, God and his people? Where are you going to put the two copies of the testimony, of the agreement, of the covenant? Israel doesn't have a temple. These are the instructions to build what will become the temple. It's, it's, It's a portable temple for a while. God certainly doesn't have a a temple and, and you certainly can't carry a stone tablet up into heaven. So where are you going to put them? Well, you'll put them where both parties will be. And both parties will meet right here at this ark. Moses, representing God's people, eventually the priest representing the people, will meet with God here at this mercy seat. And so both copies are placed there in this ark. Both copies there where God and Israel meet. The ark's construction, the ark's concealment, and finally, the ark's contents. Lastly, I want you to notice verse twenty three, verse twenty-two, the ark's concern. Why do they have an ark? Why do they have this box at all? Why does this matter? For that matter, the word in verse 17 that, that Luther translated as mercy seat that really represents the whole of the lid, because you notice, you notice there's a box, the ark. There's a mercy seat that really serves as the lid, the cover for the box in which the the two copies of the testimony will be and eventually there'll be other things there as well. The Hebrew word used there is the word kaporet. Now I know what you're thinking. Jeff, you hardly know any Hebrew and I know less than you. So that's not even remotely helpful, unless you happen to recognize that Kippuret sounds like Kippur, as in Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It's the same root. In other words, the lid is an atoning lid. It's an atoning roof, an atonement cover over. The ark. And that's exactly what they are supposed to make to build, to cover uh, this ark. Do you remember why God brought Israel out of Egypt to begin with? Do you remember why God went and got them out of slavery, out of bondage in Egypt, in this foreign land, and delivered them? What was the reason for that? There there are a couple of reasons given. For one thing, God made a promise to Abraham hundreds of years beforehand. And so He's fulfilling that promise to Abraham. And, And two, it comes up, certainly Moses says to Pharaoh, let us go three days' journey into the wilderness so that we can worship God. So there's an an element of worship in the reason for bringing Israel out of Egypt. God says over and over again that by these works of delivering you, then both you and Egypt will know that I am the Lord, that I am Yahweh. I am the creator king over all the universe and that I am your God and have delivered you and spared you from their pantheon of gods. But there's several times where the aim is that God and his people might dwell together. It's got an element of worship an element of evangelism that that they might know and that foreign people might know that God is the Lord. But it also has an element of togetherness, a fellowship where God will meet with His people, where God will be with them. Notice verse 22. There. This atonement cover. This mercy seat, there between these two cherubim, Moses, that's where I will meet with you. It is from that mercy seat, it is from between these two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Testimony that I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. That's our meeting place. That's the place where I will be, and that's the place where you're to come and we. Can be together. This is in many ways the fulfillment of the purpose, the aim, the intent of delivering Israel from Egypt. God will come down as it were and meet with Moses right there on that atonement cover. Now it serves other purposes here. Here the focus is on. Meeting, A meeting between God and Moses. Later, we find that, that, you know, there's only one person who will ever see the ark. The ark of the covenant will only ever be seen by the high priest. And even then, once a year, because this is going to be set in that inner room. The smallest room in the tabernacle, the holy of holies, the most holy place. And the high priest alone will ever see it. And only then once a year on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. So you see, any, when you, you well, hold on, hold on. It's got poles. They're going to move it. Yeah, but there's a cover. And it will be covered before the tent walls come down and before the people get to see the ark. But when the high priest goes into that holy place, that most holy place, what's he going to do? What's he going with? He's not allowed in there without blood. And when he goes in there, he's going to sprinkle blood right here. On the mercy seat. On this atonement cover. On, on the place where that is the, the center of God's mercy towards his people. Which means that when God looks at that ark, he doesn't see the law inside of it. You know, the law that declares our guilt. The law that shows that we have, we're guilty of cosmic treason. The law that says, um, wait, we sang something. I'm quickly trying to scan. We sang something that had that cosmic treason added sort of sound to it. I can't find it. Um, it that the law that says we are, have violated his commandments. The law that says we're guilty. He doesn't see that. Because there's the blood of the sacrifice between him and the law. When God looks at the ark, when God comes down and and meets with the high priest there, when he meets with Moses, when he meets with his people, as it were, the blood of the sacrificial atoning animal hides God's view of man's guilt, if you will. You know the difference between grace and mercy? Um, I, I use when I when I when I used to teach um, uh, we, we've done things differently here. When I used to teach a um, like a communicates class to, to children who were, were had expressed interest in joining the church, or whatever I would we would teach. it. we'd have this conversation about grace and mercy. And it usually goes like this. Um, let's say that you disobeyed your parents. Your parents said, go do your homework, go clean your room, go make your bed, go whatever, go help your mother, go wash your dishes, go whatever the instruction is, and you say no. Dangerous, I know. What do you deserve? You just don't answer. Kids are like, "Eh." you deserve a spanking. Right that's the that's the punishment for disobeying parents. You deserve the rod of discipline. That's what Proverbs gives us. If you don't get that rod, that's mercy. If you get ice cream, that's grace. Mercy is the withholding of the punishment that we deserve. That's the word propitiation in Romans 3. That's the whole reason we read our New Testament reading just a few minutes ago. God withholding the judgment, His just wrath that we deserve because we are guilty. Why would He withhold that? Because the blood of the sacrifice has atoned, has paid the debt that we deserve. Where does God meet with his people today? No, it's not a building. It's not this building. It's not. We don't have an altar. We have a table, but we don't have an altar anymore because the sacrifice has been made once and for all. It's it's not a box It's not a a person, it's not a place, it's not a building. It's in Christ where God meets with his people. And it's on account of Christ's sacrifice that we find mercy. It's on account of Christ's death, having paid the debt that our sin demands, the debt that our sin owes to God, that we find mercy. Mercy. And there's no longer any need to sacrifice animals because Christ is the sacrifice once for all, Hebrews tells us. In other words, this ark, this box, it's a simple box. It's made of wood. Okay, it's covered with gold. That makes it shiny and heavy and fancy. And it's, and it's special and it's important because of who's going to be there. But it's just a box. It points us to just a cross. A wooden cross that's just a cross like every other cross on which people were sacrificed in the Roman era except for the one who was hanging there. What makes it different is that's the cross where the blood of Christ was shed. The place, the seat of true mercy is the cross of Christ. Our punishment withheld... And applied to God's only Son in our place. Look to the cross. Look at the ark. And when you see the ark, let it take you to the cross. Where true mercy, because of the true blood, of the true sacrifice, gains our deliverance. Let's pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you for um, sacrificing your own son. Uh, We thank you for the the placeholder, as it were, that um, bulls and and goats and and lambs and rams were uh, throughout the Old Testament. Merely a picture of the true lamb who would suffer and bleed and die and gain our deliverance, our salvation. We thank you for this ark, this mercy seat, this place where that is central to um, the, the mercy that you provide to your people on account of a sacrifice. Father, we pray that we would see it not just as an archaeological artifact, but as a picture, a pointer to the true ark, to Christ. has gained our deliverance may we then in response to that that assurance of our freedom and deliverance may we all the more live for you to the honor and glory and in the name of Christ we ask it amen